0: Well welcome brethren to another Wednesday night Bible study and uh, forgive me if I'm just a little bit uh, disoriented just rushing from one meeting to another in a different time zone as well. Uh, But I'm really thankful that we can be together for another Wednesday night study. Also what I'm going to do this evening I will not have as many graphics this evening uh, simply because I don't have uh, as I'm, I'm at a hotel and the internet is not great. I'm gonna limit the I think just the video that I have uh, here is enough uh, to tax the bandwidth so I won't be using a lot of images and hopefully that's okay we can still get the meaning across let's open with a word of prayer and then get into the book of Isaiah our Heavenly Father we come and uh, we pause before beginning this study because we want to acknowledge you we want to thank you we want to praise you we want to thank and praise Jesus Christ And Father, we want to ask that you would bless this study, bless those who are tuning in and those who will tune in. And Father, with this wonderful book, uh, deepen our understanding, please deepen our conviction, uh, transform us, Father, with your word and the washing of our minds with your word. We praise you, we thank you, we praise and thank Jesus Christ, and in his name we ask these blessings. Amen. So, brethren we are going to uh go into isaiah chapter 40 which is what's known as second isaiah from chapter 40 to 66 and the reason it's called second isaiah is uh, a lot of the scholars believe that this is a different isaiah that uh, chapters 1 to 39 have a certain tone they have a certain theme they have a certain focus and it's very judgmental and condemnatory and then suddenly beginning in chapter 40 to 66 the tone completely changes and it's very redemptive it's very positive and uh, because of this and the language is different as well Uh, and because of this they say you know you know what it's a different isaiah so they call this the second isaiah now i think the main reason they want to say it's the second isaiah is because of the prophecies concerning the nation of babylon which at the time of isaiah's writing this nation really didn't exist. It was a very small uh, vassal nation or city to Assyria. And Isaiah basically in 1-39 to he's focused on prophecies concerning Assyria. Judah's watching these prophecies unfold. Assyria will conquer the northern tribes and then begin setting its sights on the southern tribes. And meanwhile Isaiah is saying don't worry about Assyria you're going to be crushed and overtaken by babylon and then he goes on further from that to say and then after they crush and overtake you god is going to deal with babylon and it's like what are you talking about it's like that's a hundred hundred and fifty years away and yet everything that isaiah predicts happens precisely he even predicts the name of the king that is going to conquer babylon yeah through the Pers- through persia king cyrus and and basically if you don't believe that God is the author of the Bible, inspiring it with his holy Spirit. Then this is very troublesome, so they prefer to say there's a second Isaiah who lived at the time of Persia at the time of uh, the conquest of Babylon, and so they're more writing historically rather than prophetically. when Jesus Christ was on the earth, not once or any of the uh, apostles when and, and Isaiah is so heavily quoted in the New Testament, it really was it's a mini Bible. And uh, Christ himself quoted it and quoted from what's called Second Isaiah and never once indicated that the book of Isaiah was in any way corrupt, that it, he just quoted it, this is what the prophet Isaiah said. And uh, we know that God is the author of all of the prophecies uh, to all of the prophets. So I do like to call it, though, Second Isaiah to acknowledge that it is. Uh, a, a, it has a different tone. It's much more redemptive in nature. Um, And also what I mentioned last week was that there are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah, 39 of which have an Old Testament theme, which also has 39 books, and then 27 of the chapters have a New Testament theme, and there are 27 books in the New Testament. So how that happened and how God managed to inspire this, because obviously the scrolls didn't have uh, chapters and verses, Uh, when they were inspired but as the as men were moved to put this all together it just works out that Isaiah really presents a mini bible and so what I want to focus on between now and hopefully by passover is what's called second Isaiah or what we might call new testament Isaiah and really help us to get this new testament message the gospel according to Isaiah and help us really appreciate the plan of God The redemptive plan of God and the great sacrifice that Jesus Christ made uh, for his people so so that's what we want to focus on and then we will go back and do chapters 1 to 39 but in terms of opening tonight I do want to just hit the highlights of chapters um, 1 to 39 so let's uh, let's begin that so first of all what I want to say is we want to be very clear that um, Isaiah the book has a focus and, and very often we, we skip over this focus. And so here you can see that Isaiah is all about the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Isaiah is a book about Judah and Jerusalem. It does speak about other nations I just spoke about. It's going to talk about Persia, it's going to talk about Babylon, it's going to talk about Assyria. It's going to talk about the northern tribes as well. It, it does talk about Israel, but the focus Of this vision is Judah and Jerusalem and let's not read over this because I think we we misinterpret and misunderstand this scroll when we miss what the focus is and we start making it apply to everything else that's not to say that there aren't principles in the book of Isaiah that we can apply generally speaking and, and in other ways and in modern times but let's make sure we understand what Isaiah understood first let's make sure we understand what Isaiah was communicating first and then we can take liberty with it afterwards. I think one of the big dangers that we have here is what I'll call allegorization. And this is something that the Jewish philosopher Philo, who was a Platonist studying in Alexandria, it's a key that he gave to the church fathers, which are the uh, founders of the Roman Catholic Church, the, really the false church, uh... he gave them this key of how to basically snag the bible away from its hebrew roots and apply it to the greek philosophers and the key was allegorization that to take the bible symbolically that it really doesn't mean god doesn't mean what he's saying the deeper meaning is in the symbols and so whatever god is saying ignore that basically put symbols in there and then you can make it apply to everything else and so because of this key of allegorization This is how the Christian church went from having a Hebraic root, now we can pull everything out that applies to the Hebrews, and it then developed a Greco-Roman root, and it did that through allegorization. So let's be very careful to understand what is it that God inspired Isaiah with. Let's be very careful about allegorization, and let's just take it for what it says. So what it says is, this is the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amaz, which he saw, this vision he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So he was there, this is about 40, over 40, 50, possibly 60 years that um, Isaiah was, uh, sorry, this is over um, a 50, 40, 50, 60 year period that Isaiah was uh, preaching and had his ministry. So it's a, and that's why the, the book is so big. Because it's not like he's writing it down as he's getting it. He's there involved in his ministry, and at some point near the end of his ministry, he's now collecting all of his prophecies and putting it in a package uh, for us. He says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. So God has spoken, and both the heavens and the earth should pay attention to this. And we'll go back uh, when we do chapters 1 to 39. We'll get more into an analysis of what we're covering here just for the story flow i want to just cover this i have nourished and brought up children and the very children that god invested in the very children that he nourished and looked after they have rebelled against him this hero heavens and earth these children that he has nourished they've rebelled against him the ox knows his owner and the donkey his master's crib but israel doesn't know My people, they don't consider. Oh, sinful nation. This is what we need to be very clear about. The people of Israel, both the northern and southern tribes, are sinful people. And God brings in, Isaiah predicts that Assyria is going to come in and destroy and wipe out the northern tribes. And then Judah will see that. And instead of repenting, they are worse. They are worse than the northern tribes. And so God then brings in Babylon to deal with them. But then we're gonna see how it's different, how the, the treatment of Judah, even though they were worse, God's treatment of them is different because he has a redemptive plan. He's going to redeem Judah, he's going to redeem Israel, and through Israel and Judah, he's going to redeem all of mankind. O sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. Imagine that image, they're just laden with it, they're filled with it, a seed of evildoers children that are corruptors they have forsaken the lord they have provoked the holy one of israel unto anger this is the first time we're going to see this phrase we're going to see it for 50 times in isaiah this is uh isaiah's favorite way having encountered having had an encounter with god this is his favorite way of calling on god and naming god the holy one of israel this is significant this is very significant god is the Holy One of Israel. And that's gonna matter a great deal as we go through this study. And certainly as we look into even Christ himself, what he prophesied concerning the future, why we need to understand that he is the Holy One of Israel. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They've gone away backwards. Why should you be stricken anymore? Why, why, why don't you stop and repent and turn around? Why should you be stricken anymore? you will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. Now let's fast forward to again, we're just picking up the theme of chapters one to 39. And we can certainly see that here in chapter three, verse one, for behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts does take away from Jerusalem and from Judah, the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient. So here's an example of a scripture that very clearly Isaiah is telling us, he's, he's got this vision of what's gonna happen. He's like a news reporter uh, announcing the news in advance. He's announcing it as if it's already happened or it's happening now. But notice in verse one, that this is a prophecy specifically about Jerusalem and Judah. And we'll take these verses and we'll apply it to everywhere. We'll apply it to the church. We'll apply it to the United States. We'll apply it to Britain. We'll apply it to Australia. We'll apply it to Canada. We'll apply it to the world in general. But Isaiah is very clear. This is a vision that he sees concerning Jerusalem and Judah. And the Lord himself is taking away from Jerusalem and taking away from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread, the whole stay of water, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient the captain of 50 and the honorable man and the counselor and the cunning artificer and the eloquent orator all these he's taking away specifically from judah and jerusalem instead and i will give children to be their princes and babes shall rule over them again this is specific this concerns judah and jerusalem that the the mature man the mature leader the righteous leader is going to be taken away and instead impulsive children who are going to be very oppressive and have no respect for the the traditions and the the, the righteous traditions of Jerusalem and of Judah instead these impulsive children a uh, greedy children are going to take over and these babes are going to oppress the people uh, chapter 29 again just picking up the theme within chapters 1 to 39 woe unto ariel ariel is a name for jerusalem so it's woe unto jerusalem to ariel the city where david dwelt so this is again this is a vision that isaiah is seeing seeing concerning judah and jerusalem woe unto jerusalem to jerusalem the city where david dwelt add you year to year let them kill sacrifices so even though they're doing the sacrifices that's fine yet i will distress jerusalem it, 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 it doesn't matter This is it's ritual to them it's, it's an offense to God so he's going to distress Jerusalem and there shall be heaviness and sorrow and it shall be unto, uh, unto me as Jerusalem and I will camp this is God saying I will camp against you round about so Jerusalem is going to be surrounded and I will lay siege against you with a mount and I will raise forts against you and you shall be brought down so Jerusalem at this time is doing quite well. Uh, so Isaiah, so the northern tribes are really prosperous. They're going to be brought down, but the southern tribes, even though they weren't as prosperous as the north, uh, they're they're going to be very they're going to be prosperous. And yet God says, "I'm going to bring you down." This is the news. So so don't get caught up in what's happening. See what God sees. You shall be brought down, and you shall speak out of the ground, and your speech shall be low out of the dust and your voice shall be as of one that has a familiar spirit out of the ground and your speech shall whisper out of the dust so even though all of this condemnation is in chapters 1 to 39 that's not to say that there isn't a new testament message a message of hope in the old testament part of isaiah look here at chapter 14 of isaiah 14 Verse 1, the Lord for the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will yet choose Israel. So not just Judah, God, Isaiah is seeing a time in the future that even though he's destroyed Israel and he's about to destroy Judah, that there's a time coming when he's going to change and he's going to turn and he's going to have compassion. He's going to have mercy on Jacob. God is known in Luke 1 as the God of Jacob forever. For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will yet choose Israel. So Israel cannot be destroyed and set them in their own land. And the strangers shall be joined with them and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. So Jacob is going to be hated. Jacob is going to be despised. It's going to be uh, destroyed. And yet Isaiah can see a time when Jacob is going to be valued, that the whole world is going to cleave to Jacob and be glad that Jacob exists. This is really important, and it's really important that we don't engage in what's called replacement theology. Replacement theology is is again what Philo enabled the Greek philosophers to do, is to take Israel out of the Bible and put the Christian church in there. So God no longer has anything to do with the physical nations of Israel, the tribes of Israel, everything is now the church well we need to be very very careful about that for a couple of reasons number one when we look at these prophecies in chapters 1 to 39 when we look at them in detail even though isaiah is predicting the fall of the northern tribes in 721 bc and the fall of the southern tribes which happened i believe around 585 or 586 bc so he predicts that first with assyria moving to take out the northern tribes then Babylon coming in to take out the southern tribes, when we study these prophecies carefully, it becomes very clear that those events are not the events that Isaiah was foreseeing. They are not the events that Isaiah was prophesying about. Because when we look at his prophecies in detail, they actually have to do with what happens right before Christ returns. And that in fact, these events that Isaiah is predicting they introduce, or they usher in, it is the return of Christ that stops these events. So it means that the tragedy that we see with the Assyrians moving in to destroy the Northern tribes and the Babylonians moving in to destroy the Southern tribes, that as tragic and horrendous as these were, there were simply dress rehearsals. That they laid, they set out a pattern of what we can expect in the future. So these prophecies that Isaiah is giving us are truly end time prophecies. And when we study them in detail, it will be very clear that, okay, no, this, this has to do with the return of Christ. And, and, and it's not to do with um, Assyria, uh, Sennacherib, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar of uh, Babylon. So that's number one, we need to be careful then that if we're saying it's the church, it's the church, then there is a destruction prophesied by Isaiah to fall upon judah and jerusalem and it is going to be horrendous and you know what we see with hitler with the six million jews nothing just again a dress rehearsal so what we what what we are if we believe in replacement theology then what we're saying to god is please please god we are israel we the church is israel the church is judah don't bring this horrendous destruction that you are promising to come down upon judah don't bring it down on the physical jews bring it down on the church because we are Judah, so we need to be very careful about that. The other reason we need to be very careful is there is a, an ideology that is spreading like wildfire all over the world, and it really is the ultimate replacement theology. And I'm speaking of Islam. It is the ultimate replacement theology because what it is saying is, yep, all of these prophets, they're, they're, they were all Muslims, and that God is now done with the Jews. And instead, he's turned his heart towards the Arabs. And the Arabs are now going to be the head nation. And Islam is for all peoples of the earth. And uh, all peoples of the earth must look to the Arabs. And they have to learn Arabic. And they have to submit to the Arabic culture. Because God has chosen the Arabs. Let me just read to you uh, one verse from the Quran. And this is from Surah 2, uh, Ayah 65 265, And it says, And certainly... You have known those among you who exceeded the limits of the Sabbath. So this is speaking of the Jews. They exceeded, they they broke the Sabbath. So we said to them, that is, Allah said to them, be apes, despised, and hated. So God was so offended, or Allah was so offended by the fact that the Jews broke the Sabbath. And what happened here is um, they were fishing, but they couldn't catch any fish. And then Allah would send the fish on the Sabbath so their children are starving to death through the week and they can't find any food for the children for their families but then Allah would send the fish on the Sabbath so they would fish on the Sabbath and then Allah basically got upset and was so upset and emotionally outraged that he turned the Jews into apes and into swine and he has nothing to do with the Jews now and he's replaced the Jews with the Muslims well if we can stick to what Isaiah is prophesied. You know, the Bible is the only book, and we'll see this as we study Isaiah, the Bible is the only book in the world that predicts the future in detail. And because it's God who's authoring it, he can do this. And so when we are very careful to say, no, God means what he says, then we can actually outline exactly what the prophecies are saying and what's going to happen to the Jews and that God has not rejected them and God has not rejected Israel and God will never repl- God will be the holy one of Israel and the God of Jacob forever and ever and ever then we can be in a much stronger position to show the world and specifically our muslim brothers and sisters that their their ideology is false and we can help them avoid the tremendous wrath that is going to come down on anybody who touches the apple of God's eye and Isaiah is very specific about that again when we get into the prophecies Anybody who dares abuse God's people, then woe unto them. God is going to find he's going to be very quiet, and then he's going to rise up, and he's going to assist his people, and he's going to destroy all those nations that abused his people. So here we see, right in the Old Testament portion of Isaiah, that the Lord will have mercy on Jacob, and he will yet choose Israel, and set them in their own land. And again, we need to understand the covenant both the old covenant and the new covenant are all about the land and this land is land that god has promised and he's going to fulfill his promise to abraham he will yet choose israel so even though all of this he's not going to turn them into apes and swine he has not done that and where do you see that in god's covenant where in the in the covenant did god's god say if you break my commandments i'm going to turn you into monkeys this is this is ridiculous god is a god of his word And so everything that has happened, these prophecies, in fact, that we look, that we will look at in detail that Isaiah is pronouncing on Israel. We can go back to Deuteronomy and say, wow, this is exactly what God said would happen to them. And then we can look at the historical record and see that exactly what God said would happen is exactly what happened. And we can do all of the archaeology and and Christians love archaeology because archaeology always confirms and validates God's word. And yet you'll see in, in, when ISIS was strong in, in Iraq, that what they were doing was blowing everything up. When they took over the city Nimrud, they just destroyed everything because they don't want archeology span because God, the Bible speaks of things in detail and cities in detail and exactly what happened. And when we look at the archeological record, it validates God's word. So he's going to set them in their own land. It's a covenant about land and God is committed. The zeal of the Lord of Hosts is going to accomplish this. God is committed to having them as the head nation in the land that he promised them. Even though they have to be exiled and they have to be subjugated, uh, eventually they will be holy and they will be put back in the land. And the strangers, these are going to be, the Muslims and everybody else who's who's fighting against them, they shall be joined with them. So they are going to come to repentance and they are going to love Jacob. They're going to cleave to the house of Jacob. So now let's get into Isaiah 40 and notice the tone of isaiah isaiah 40 is going to show us how god is going to bring about this redemption of his people he says here comfort you this is how this is how second isaiah begins after all of this judgment uh on on isaiah and in in fact so chapter 39 in fact uh it's um 36 to 39 is a bit of a, a an inset of a historical record with hezekiah and in chapter 39 hezekiah fell ill and uh, the the leader of babylon the king of babylon sent him a message a get well card basically and I, hezekiah was so touched and then when babylon the babylon oh, babylonian sent some ambassadors hezekiah welcomed them and he showed them everything and then isaiah comes along and he says who were these men Oh, they were ambassadors from Babylon well what did you show them I showed them everything I took them for a tour and I showed them the whole wealth of, of, of Judah and everything that we have and Isaiah says that was very foolish these Babylonians are gonna come and destroy you and that's how chapters that's the how, how chapters 1 to 39 that's how it ends that it's no longer about the Assyrian threat now this nation that nobody's really is concerned about Isaiah is saying, this nation is going to rise up. It's going to become the next superpower. And everything that you've shown them has, has made you vulnerable. And they're going to come and they're going to enslave you. They're going to take your children and they're going to enslave them. And they're going to destroy Judah. And then suddenly, Isaiah 40 begins with this message. Comfort you, comfort you, my people, says the Lord. This is what the Holy Spirit is now inspiring. That despite the, the destruction of that is prophesied upon his people, we're now seeing that his people should be comforted. Speak you comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished. There, there was a purpose to this warfare. It, it wasn't just random. God isn't just acting uh, just hysterically. He's acting according to covenant, and this is a punishment that they have to endure They have to suffer the consequences of breaking the covenant in order to drive them to break this stiff-necked attitude that they have, drive them to repentance for them to learn firsthand that when they enter into a covenant, that God is a God of his word. And when they finally come to this depth of repentance, true, deep, wholehearted, heartfelt repentance, then her warfare is accomplished and that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins this is this is according to the covenant so she's really gotten it full full throttle full undiluted verse 3. the voice of him that cries in the wilderness prepare you the way of the lord make straight in the desert a highway for our god so now it's very clear that the, the the comfort comes because the lord is coming and that there's, there needs to be a messenger that, that announces that the Lord is coming, and then there needs to be a highway that is created for the arrival of the king. So prepare this highway so that the king can come into Jerusalem. Now, notice this language, Isaiah 40, we call it 2nd Isaiah or New Testament Isaiah. Notice it begins exactly the same way that the New Testament begins. Look at Mark 1. Mark one, verse one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face, which shall prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So clearly, second Isaiah is a New Testament message. And the New Testament begins with the message. Of second Isaiah that God's people are to be comforted that there is somebody needs to come on the scene to say the Lord is coming so this is this is uh, what is what is prophesied so it's the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare you the way of the Lord make his path straight right out of Isaiah so they understood Wow, this is this is the second half chapters 40 to 66 of Isaiah this is how it's happening that it's the Lord and in in this we're gonna get into the detail later but in this uh, section of 40 to 66, there are the servant songs. This is about the suffering servant and this is what Judah didn't understand that the Messiah had to come first as a suffering servant. He had to come as the perfect Israelite to live by the law and then to be faultless, to be perfect and then to be sacrificed as an offering uh, to enable the new covenant for Israel. We'll get into that later. But uh, this is one preparing the way to say the the suffering servant is coming, but ultimately the Messiah, the mighty Messiah, the king is coming. Back to Isaiah 40. So now he says, when he speaks of this king coming, every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. So Jerusalem is going to be completely reconfigured so that it's very clear where the king's throne is. And and it's going to be very clear how to get there. So the valleys are going to be exalted. The hills are going to be made flat. the The mountains and hills, crooked are going to be made straight. And also the rough places plain. So again, it's going to be very clear where the king's throne is. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So there is this Um, clear focus on the return of the Lord, the return of the Messiah, or the coming of the Messiah, and all flesh. This is why all flesh will cleave unto Jacob, because when the Lord comes, he's going to establish Judah as the head nation, and people are going to say, like, wow, these people are the people of God. Now, he says here, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Look how the New Testament begins in the book of Luke as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare you the way of the Lord make his path straight every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough way shall be made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God so Luke got it they, they, they didn't have a New Testament Bible their Bible was the Old Testament And Isaiah was considered the head of the prophets. In fact, when you look at the Hebrew Bible, Isaiah is the first of the prophets. And then all the other prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the 12 come afterwards. But Isaiah is considered the head, the prince, the chief of the prophets. And so this is what he's commenting on that day. This is what's written. This is what's going to happen. Back to Isaiah 40. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field the grass withers and the flower fades because the Spirit of the Lord blows upon it surely the people is grass so again Isaiah is very clear about these powerful nations that are going to move in and destroy God's people Assyria is going to be a a beastly power it's gonna be unprecedented power Babylon is gonna come and destroy the southern tribes these are powerful, powerful nations. And yet Isaiah is saying, be, people of God, be comforted. These nations, are they, they can't do anything unless God allows it. And you know what? Whatever they do, they have their moment of glory, and then they're going to fade away. So don't be afraid of them. And don't ally yourself with them. They come and they go. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. And all of it, is, is, it has to be allowed by God. So no matter how glorious the flesh is, no matter how powerful the flesh is, consider it grass. And it's going to wither. And the flower, how glorious and beautiful and pretty the flower is, and and these uh, ego-driven maniacs and leaders are going to be draped in gold and purple and fine linen. And yet, like the flower, they're going to fade. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is going to blow upon them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So so Isaiah wants his people, he's comforting his people in the way that they can be comforted, and certainly the way that we can be comforted, is just to understand who it is we're engaged with, how powerful this God is, that all these people on earth, they're just like grass. They're just like flowers. They have their moment, yes, but it fades away. But the word of God, this book of Isaiah that we're studying, the, these, these inspired words of God, they stand forever. Peter quotes this. Notice in First Peter 1. Uh, New Testament relies heavily on the book of Isaiah, and that's what I want to show you here. Here in First Peter 1 and verse 24, Peter's quoting right out of Isaiah. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower thereof falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So, in the New Testament, you know, these New Testament Christians that reject the Old Testament, well, you know what? Isaiah's in the Old Testament. And, and the back half of Isaiah is all about it's, it's a New Testament message. And certainly the, the Messiah himself leans heavily on, on Isaiah and the apostles lean heavily on isaiah so we can't be quote unquote restricted to the new testament new testament christians we're whole bible christians and even when we get into isaiah 1 to 39 we're going to see some new testament messages in there as well god is god's word stands forever and he never he never speaks in such a way that there's no hope he always leaves a, 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 an avenue of repentance because he has his plan and he's going to work his plan. So Peter was quoting Isaiah. Back to Isaiah 40. O Zion that brings good tidings, get you up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem that brings good news, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God so a couple of things here number one this is the gospel this is the gospel so if we were to look at the Septuagint this would be the Ewangelion, the gospel O Zion that brings the gospel O Jerusalem that brings the gospel so the gospel is here in Isaiah this good news now why is it good news well you know a lot of people oh the gospel the gospel is good news and they want to preach the gospel but it's not rooted in Isaiah when we, when we root the gospel in, in Isaiah, the reason it's good news is because of the horrendous news that Isaiah was just giving. Because when we look at chapters 1 to 39, it is horrendous news. Like, is there any reason to have any joy at all? Is, is life over? That, that God says he's raised these children and they've rebelled against him, and then he looks at the terms and conditions of the covenant, and he carries it out. And he hunts down his people. And he does exactly what the terms and conditions of the covenant say. Is there any reason to be hopeful? Yes. Because he made a promise to Abraham, which was unconditional. And so he's going to work away for these people to come to repentance so that he can fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham. So this is the good news. It's good news because of all the bad news. That Don't, don't despair. Be comforted. So he says, comfort my people. So here's all the bad news chapters 1 to 39, here's my judgment, here's my righteous judgment according to the terms and conditions, but tell the people not to give up. Comfort them and tell them that God God has plans for them that are not for their destruction, but ultimately for their repentance and to establish them as this nation of kings and priests as he promised. So, O Zion, that brings good news, Get you up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem, that brings good news, the gospel. Lift up your voice with strength. So after just telling us that all the nations are as grass, and all the the glory of these nations are like the flower that fades, that God's word is forever. Now he's telling us, preach God's word. So it becomes very clear that the preaching of this good news is a fearful thing. It's something to be afraid of that it, it is a counter-narrative to the narrative of the nations. It's something that causes the nations, and you know, the Jews have always been hated. It's amazing that they're still, how, how is it possible that the Jews still exist? That They've always been hated because they have this claim that they are the people of God, and they're the only people in the world that have the scriptures and the prophecies, and, and the prophecies tell a coherent story, and they unfold, exactly as it says who has this who has a book that says 150 years from now there's going to be a king that's that's going to be the king of a nation that you're not paying attention to right now it doesn't the the nation doesn't really exist it's not on the radar it's not on the map it's going to become the superpower this king is going to another nation another king's going to rise up and destroy this nation and that king's name is cyrus and when that king comes 150 years from now, he's going to allow my people to go back into Jerusalem and to rebuild. Like, this is, how do you explain this? Oh, well, it must be another person and it was historic and all these reasons. But everyone's afraid that the Bible is true. And they don't, they don't want to face it. But it's so detailed and, and it's coherent. When you, when you actually understand it and you put it together, it's coherent. And so these people are hated and despised, and so be it because of their rebellion against God. And so God is allowing this, but in the midst or the height or the climax of this hatred, somebody is preaching the gospel and is comforting God's people and doing it with strength. So we need to understand the plot. We need to understand the game plan here so that we're, we're delivering the right message to the right people and the rest of the nations are going to hear this message as a witness that's a legal term so they're going to be brought to condemnation and they will not have a leg to stand on because the witness was there the testimony was there you heard the gospel and you heard the plan of god and you continued in your rebellion you continue to take pleasure in unrighteousness you have no excuse here's the judgment so lift up your voice with strength so those who have the holy spirit those who are grafted in, who are representative of the of Zion, the, the, the Holy Spirit driven Jerusalem, lift up your voice with strength and don't be afraid. Yes, it's going to be risky. Yes, the nations are going to hate it. But the word of this, this is the word of God. This is powerful God whose word is forever. Don't be afraid. Tell the cities of Judah who are the target. This is the 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 eschatological agenda. This is the agenda in the end time. We must destroy the cities of Judah. You lift up your voice and tell these cities of Judah, be comforted. This is all the plan of God. Repent, return to your God. The word of God is forever. He's coming to save you. Behold your God. He's coming. Now, that's why in in Matthew 24, Christ makes it clear that it's going to be horrendous in the end time. These nations are going to be flexing their muscles and it's going to be terrible for the people of God. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel, in the context of the end time, in the context of the hatred for this message, the message is still going to be preached. Someone's going to stand up with strength. Someone's going to deliver the good news to the people of God this gospel is the very same gospel that christ preached so we have to read the gospel the gospel accounts to see what is the message that christ preached make sure we're preaching the same good news this good news of the kingdom that's the kingdom of israel shall be preached in all the world not to get converts not to convince them oh this is the one time of salvation it's time to do you know the lord it's time to know the lord just say this little prayer oh jesus jesus i love you there you're converted now you're going to go to heaven that's not the gospel gospel is very specific god has a plan it's a plan where his people are losing hope and god is saying comfort my people and deliver this message from me to them that the kingdom will be restored to israel and god is the god of jacob forever and the cities of judah behold your god this gospel of the kingdom of israel the kingdom of god shall be preached in all the world for a witness so all you nations that are surrounding jerusalem all you united you you are united in your agenda to destroy judah i want you to know you're on the wrong side you are going up against the god of the universe and if you continue in this agenda he's going to destroy you so our message to you is you better repent get on the right side you don't have to be destroyed Don't be seduced. Don't don't be so narcissistic and driven by your ego that you want to be the people of God when you can never be the people of God. God is the one who chooses. You can be grafted. You can repent and be grafted in, but you can't reject and replace the people of God and say you're the people of God. This, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness, this is a legal term, unto all nations, and then shall the end come. This is so says Jesus Christ. Back to Isaiah 40. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand. This is the comfort to God's people that despite their rebellion, despite the destruction and the sentence that's going to be on their heads, at the same time, this is the context of God's return. That the Lord will come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. He's coming to establish his kingdom. Behold his reward is with him and his work before him he shall feed his flock like a shepherd so he's going to be like a shepherd the same way that you see uh, sheep are helpless they need a shepherd and when the shepherd comes and he feeds them, they, they follow the shepherd wherever he goes and they're devoted to the shepherd and he's devoted to them this is what he's going to do he has a flock he has children he has a, a specific people that he has raised up He's coming for them. He's coming for them. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. This is what he says he always wanted to do for his people. But they're the ones who wouldn't have it. Okay, so they have to be punished. But they're still his people. So he is coming to gather them the way a shepherd feeds his flock and to carry them in his bosom and gather the lambs in his arms. And he shall gently lead those that are with young. Uh, Matthew 24, Christ tells us that if you're with young and you're in Judah, woe unto you. Because the people coming into Judah, they have no mercy. If you're pregnant at this time, woe unto you. If you have little ones, woe unto you because they don't see you as human beings. And they believe that God has, their God has given them the right for wholesale slaughter. So if you're in Judah or Jerusalem at this time, flee to the mountains. Run for your life. Pray that your flight is not on the Sabbath and woe unto you if you're uh, breastfeeding or you're pregnant because you're not going to be able to outrun these people. And they are are coming for the devil's agenda to slaughter the people of God. But then when God comes, he's going to gently lead those that are with young. They're going to come repentant. They're going to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Lord and they're going to come repentant. Now, in Deuteronomy, this is all based on, on the law, says here, Deuteronomy one thirty one, and in the wilderness where you have seen how that the Lord, your God, bear you, as a man does bear his son in all the way that you went until he came into his place. So it's the same God. This is God's nature. He's always wanted to do this with his people, to be gentle with them, to bear them, to look after them, to comfort them. It's the same God. But he has to carry out his law. He has to carry out his judgment because once he speaks, he's not a hypocrite. Once he speaks, he never speaks in vain. So everything that he speaks, the word of God is forever. He carries out exactly what he says. The people are going to come to a deep repentance to realize that God means what he says. And they're going to now engage in this new covenant. But it's the same heart that God has for his people. Isaiah 40 verse 12 who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. So you think of all the water on earth. And, and Isaiah wants us to know how great this God is. That all the water in the earth, he can measure it in the hollow of his hand. And meted out heaven with the span. So all the stars in heaven, all the galaxies, everything it fit in the span of his hand. So So this is the God. And comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure so think of all the dust in the earth well all of that is like a like a little teaspoon even less than a teaspoon it's a small measure to god this is the god that this is the god of israel this is the god of jacob this is the holy one of israel so be comforted yes these nations are powerful nations but understand how powerful god is and he has weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or being his counselor has taught him. So this is, this is the Spirit of the Lord. So does anybody give the Spirit of the Lord direction? Is there anybody who can instruct God? Understand how powerful, how lofty God is. Now, uh, this is again quoted in the New Testament. Paul here in Romans says, and we'll look at Corinthians as well, in Romans 11:34, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Straight from Isaiah. So Isaiah puts this challenge out there to say, you have to understand how great God is. No one is his counselor. And Paul, being instructed by Isaiah, puts it out there. Does anybody know the mind of God? Is there anybody who can be his counselor? Again, he repeats it in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So through this this wisdom that's in God through His Spirit, we come to understand His mind. We search the Scriptures. We become educated by the Scriptures. We have the Holy Spirit. We begin to think like God. And we begin to understand His work. Isaiah calls it His strange work. Habakkuk calls it His unbelievable work. It's a work that, even if it's told you, you will not believe it. But because we have the mind of God, we understand now what He's doing. Again, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 16, and then back to Deuteronomy. Uh, so sorry, I wanted to quote this earlier, Deuteronomy 32. Again, there's this gathering the, the the notion of God gathering his people to him. He says, as an eagle stirs up her nest, this is from Deuteronomy 3211, and flutters over her young, spreads abroad her wings, takes them, bears them on her wings. Again, when when Christ in Luke 13 when he says to jerusalem and in matthew 23 how often I, I have wanted to gather you under my wings as a hen gathers her, her her chicks but you wouldn't have it that's coming right out of deuteronomy this is the heart of god that he flutters he wants to flutter over uh, his young the way an eagle flutters over the young and spreads her her wings over them and bears them on her wings uh, so the lord alone did lead him and there was no strange god with him so this is how god was looking after um, was looking after uh, his people now I've got a missed quote there I'll, I'll skip over that back to Isaiah 40 Isaiah 40 verse 14 with whom took he counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding behold God, Isaiah is comforting God's people. He wants them to understand how great God is. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. They are nothing to God. They're going to flex their muscles. They're going to show their glory. They're going to show their might and power. And, and uh, Isaiah gives us some very specific prophecies of what's going on in their mind, in the, in the leader's mind, how he thinks he's doing all of this. And it's just God allowing it. And when God says, okay, enough, then God just stops it. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he takes up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. This God is so holy. This God is so majestic. This God is so regal. That if you were to take all the trees in Lebanon, when, when uh, Solomon was building his temple, all the nations around were sending their very best to help build the temple. Well, what they wanted from Lebanon were the trees because the trees in Lebanon were just glorious. And Isaiah is saying all the trees in Lebanon, if you were to cut down all of that wood to, to burn uh, for giving the offering to God, it's insufficient. His glory is so great. This is nothing. And if you were to take all the animals there and and burn them on this wood uh, for the burnt offering, it's not enough. It's it's insufficient. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. This is the God. So we must not be overwhelmed by these nations. We must preach the gospel as a witness to these nations. Lift up your voice. Lift it up with strength. Don't be afraid. Tell these nations for a witness what the gospel is. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? He's he's incomparable. There's nobody, there's nothing, there's no God. Let let them talk about their gods. None of their gods are like the God of Israel. So you're going to say you're like God, the God of the Bible? No way. To whom then will you liken God? or what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman melts a graven image, and the goldsmith spreads it over with gold and casts silver chains. So this is how they make their idols. And certainly today we still have idols. They may not be uh, physical objects. We have the fundamental idols today. Power, money, sex. You study all the false religions, and this is what they promise. They promise you power. They promise you money. They promise you sex. These are the key. So all of the idolatry ultimately boils down to these things. This is what the devil seduces man with. And then once he seduced man, he destroys man. You, You worship these idols, you will be destroyed. And so study any false religion and the benefits of that religion. Money, power, sex. These are the idols. But here they would make these idols, and these idols would then symbolize the power of their god, and Isaiah is just calling them out on it. He's saying, look how ridiculous this is. And Judah is joining themselves to these pagans in their worship. So this is what the workman does. He melts a graven image, and then the goldsmith spreads it over with gold and casts silver chains on it, he that is so impoverished that he has no, he has no uh, oblation, so he, he doesn't have the money for this, he chooses a tree that will not rot. <laughs> Isaiah is uh, being a bit of a, a, a humorist here. He's saying, you know, this is what they do. The, you know, they, get, they, they, they want to make the best idol they can, and so they build it, and they put it in gold. They dress it over with gold, and so it's spectacular. But what about the poor man? He can't do that. So he's got to make his idol out of wood and then because wood rots he's got to find a tree the type of wood that doesn't rot because he's the one making this idol it's so uh um isaiah is just showing how ridiculous this is when you consider the god of israel the holy one of israel he seeks unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved so uh, i don't have the money i found this wood i need now a craftsman who's going to put this in an, in a formation that i can say this is my god this is ishtar or, or, or this is baal and then i need to establish it mount it in such a way that it's not going to be moved because it's not really good if i say this is my god and then the wind comes and knocks it over have you not known have you not heard has it not been told you from the beginning have you not understood from the foundations of the earth It is he that sits upon the circle of the earth. Look at that. Isn't that something? That it is God who sits upon the circle of the earth. So the earth is a sphere. And here we have Isaiah writing this thousands of years ago. And when we look again at this this religion that's sweeping, this quote unquote Abrahamic religion that is sweeping the world, that the prophet of that religion thought the earth was flat, and said that you know the um, they they, they believe, he believed that Alexander the Great was a prophet of Islam, and that he went to the end of the earth, and he found that the sun at the end of the earth the sun sets in a muddy pool of water, because his concept was the earth was flat, and here that was in six hundred and you know, the 7th mid seventh century, here, uh, you know fourteen hundred years earlier fifteen hundred years earlier, Isaiah is saying the earth is a sphere. In fact, even Job understood that the earth was a sphere. So the God the, the Bible is the word of God and, and we're not it doesn't make things up. This is communication, men inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the Word of God. He sits upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants of the earth are like grasshoppers to God he stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in this is all just God just he's the creator he does what he likes with it that brings the princes to nothing he makes the judges of the earth as vanity so these princes these judges are so powerful God is allowing them to do what they do for the time being but when he's ready he brings them down now this this uh, bringing the princes to nothing, this is what we see in the book of Revelation. And again, Isaiah informs Revelation. Isaiah informs the New Testament. That you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains. These are the mighty people being brought down, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, small and great. Verse 19 of 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse. And against his army are you kidding me and the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him these powerful people that it just looked like nothing could stop them who can make war with the beast with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and that's the work of the devil constant deception and so there's a false prophet that's going to deceive people to accept the the the, the mark of the beast and then that worshiped his image these both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone so this powerful person that's going to be in the end and isaiah speaks in detail about him he's just allowed for a season to do what he has to do he's he's a, he's a he's on a string he's on a leash and when god is ready god yanks the leash and throws him into the lake of fire there's no contest here you know the wicked may think that they're having a contest against the god of israel but there's isaiah saying there's no contest God is just allowing things to happen so that his word can be fulfilled because his word stands forever. And then once his word is fulfilled, that's it. Then he'll deal with these nations. Back to Isaiah 40, verse 24. Yes, they shall not be planted. Yes, they shall not be sown. Yes, their stock shall not take root in the earth. So they they can have all the plans and the agenda and they think they're wonderful. Isaiah is saying, no, it's not going to happen. And he shall also blow upon them and they shall wither and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble and and this uh, puts me in mind of Malachi where in Malachi 1 the way the book of Malachi opens this is the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi I have loved you says the Lord yet you say Israel says how have you loved us or wherein have you loved us and then the answer is Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? So God is saying, I love Jacob. And they're saying, well, how have you loved us? We don't get it. And the answer is, well, wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? Says the Lord. Yet, I loved Jacob. And what that means is God has covenant love for Jacob. Esau despised his birthright. And God has covenant hatred for that. And so Esau is rejected because he rejected the birthright. He rejected this this covenant that he had as a right as the firstborn. Jacob sought after it. Jacob wanted it. And so God entered into the covenant with Jacob. God is in covenant love with Jacob. That's why he's the God of Jacob forever. So when we say, well, how have you loved us? Because I'm in covenant love with you. Yes, you have to be punished, but I'm in covenant love with you. Verse three, and I hated Esau it means that i I have no covenant with esau so we know that esau married into ishmael and so the people of esau are now with the people of ishmael and they make up the muslim peoples and so god says i hated esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness and this is so says god this is the prophecy all these nations that surround judah that are going to try to destroy judah god says he's going to lay their heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness Whereas Edom, that's Esau, says, we are impoverished, so they're going to be destroyed, but we will return and build the desolate places. So, so they have this vision of we're going to rebuild. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they shall build, they'll try, but I will throw down. God is against Esau. They're going to build, but I will throw down. The only hope for Esau is to repent and be grafted into Israel. This is the hope for the whole world. If you're trying to be the people of God without Israel, it won't happen because God is the God of Israel. They shall build, but I will throw down, I will destroy. And they shall call them the border of wickedness. Jerusalem shall be known as the city of salvation, the walls of salvation. But Edom or Esau will be known as the border of wickedness. And the people against whom the Lord has indignation forever harsh words i'm just quoting the word of god so god is going to be known as the god of jacob forever and esau is going to be known as the people against whom the lord has indignation forever so if i were of the tribe of esau i think a wise move would be to repent and be grafted into israel because eternity is in israel god is going to be the god of israel forever and your eyes shall see And you shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. The whole world is going to come to Israel and is going to acknowledge God as the God of Israel, the God of Jacob. So God continues here in Isaiah 40. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, says the Holy One. And if we again go to uh, Deuteronomy here, Deuteronomy three, verse 24, O Lord God, You have begun to show your servant your greatness. This is what Moses Moses is becoming to understand, the greatness of God. You've begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to your works and according to your might. We have to understand God's strange work. When we understand God's strange work, we can declare it in the earth. Perfectly, And then the earth should be able to say, wow, what God is like the God of Israel? He does exactly what he says. But if we just allegorize everything, then all of these prophecies become neutralized. We need to hold prophecy up as the proof of God and be able to point to what's happening in the news today all around the world and go back to Isaiah, go back to Deuteronomy, go back to Jeremiah, go back to Ezekiel, go back to Habakkuk and show the world this is God's strange work. This is his unbelievable work. This is what he's doing. And specifically, we need to show Judah their God. And we need to lead Judah to repentance. And we need to lead the the Gentiles to repentance. Those that are willing, And, and, and it does seem from Revelation 7, that there's a whole multitude of Gentiles that come to repentance. The gospel message is effective in that sense. So here, so it's going to be effective in leading judah to repentance but there's also going to be a, a great many gentiles that are going to come to repentance as well but there's going to be many that are unrepentant and god is going to come and fight against them isaiah 40 verse 26 lift up your eyes on high and behold who has created these things that brings out their host by number so think of all the stars think of the galaxy i believe it's 14 Uh, 0.9 billion light years this is this is a massive universe this is the god of the universe he calls them all by names by the greatness of his might so every single star god has named for that he is strong in power not one fails why do you say o jacob and speak o israel my way is hid from the lord And my judgment is passed over from my God. So Israel is becoming hopeless. They're just thinking it's all lost. It's not. So this is again in the New Testament what Paul is alluding to. It's the book of Isaiah. He says in Romans 11 verse 1, I say then, has God cast away his people? God forbid. God forbid that he would turn his own people into apes and swine. God forbid. God forbid that he would cast them away and replace them with somebody else. God forbid, has God cast away his people? God forbid because then he would be a liar. So if we engage in replacement theology, we are calling God a liar. Let God be true and every other man a liar. So we're just gonna read the word of God and we're gonna say the word of God is forever. So God forbid that he would cast away his people for then the mighty God would would not be able to fulfill his word and he would be a liar, God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. So he's not cast away his people. So I'm an Israelite. God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. This whole plan, God said, I'm going to do this in Israel. I'm going to do this through Israel. Don't you know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he makes intercession to God against Israel, saying, "So this Elijah's speaking against Israel. They're, they're um, Sinful people, rebellious people, and God says He makes intercession. Make, he makes intercession to God against Israel. Haven't you known? Oh, sorry, I'll go back to Isaiah forty then. So this is just showing in Romans eleven that God has not cast away His people. He, ha- he still has people that are faithful to Him, and God is going to work through His people. Back to Isaiah forty. Have you not known? And have and and have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord? the creator of the ends of the earth faints not neither is he weary there is no searching of his understanding so it may appear like god has cast away his people and to god's people they may be giving up all hope when they see these mighty nations surrounding judah ready to destroy judah and the message to them is don't you know how powerful god is look to god because he is coming to save you and zechariah 12 shows us that They're going to all these people who who pierced God, they're going to look upon him whom they've pierced. And we also see that in Revelation 1, I believe it's verse 7. He gives power to the faint. So we see that again in Zechariah 12, that when Judah is faint, God is going to give power. He gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. So again, this is an example of a verse that people will just genericize. Oh, God gives power to the faint and to them that have no might he increases strength and it's a nice thing to say but when we read it in context it is concerning judah and jerusalem and judah and jerusalem are going to be destroyed and they're going to be faint and then god is going to give power to them that have no might and that's what we see in zechariah here in zechariah 12 and verse 6 in that day when god is going to return will i make the governors of judah like a hearth of fire among the wood so the nations are going to be like wood and judah is going to be like this fire that's just burning up the wood and like a torch of fire in a sheaf and they shall devour all the people round about so jerusalem is going to be surrounded they're going to be slaughtered and then all of a sudden everything's going to change god is going to give power to them that have no might and they shall devour all the people round about and on the right hand and on the left and jerusalem shall be inhabited again all of this slaughter that's going to take place in jerusalem and the abomination of desolation that's going to be set up in jerusalem and the strength of the gentile in jerusalem it's going to be stopped it's going to be they're going to be pushed out and then jerusalem will be inhabited again in her own place even in jerusalem i know it sounds unbelievable but this is the god of the universe he's going to act on behalf of jerusalem The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first. This is the word of God. And Isaiah says, the word of God is forever. So they're going to attack Jerusalem. They're going to attack Judah. God is going to return and his priority, his priority is to save the tents of Judah first. That the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He gives might to them who have no might. He, he, God has not fainted. He's just allowing his word to be fulfilled, and then he's going to act and fulfill this part of his word. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So somehow when Christ returns, Jerusalem is the target. The devil is trying to be like the Most High. And so he's got to set up his abomination of desolation in Jerusalem because he knows the plan of God. And so, in that day, when Christ returns, he's going to defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And he that is feeble among them at that day, God gives power to them that have no might. He that is feeble, this is speaking again of Jerusalem. Isaiah's vision concerns Judah and Jerusalem, not the whole world. Isaiah is saying, you know, this is what I saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Zechariah is now giving us some detail as to what is going to happen with judah and jerusalem in that day shall the when the lord returns he's going to defend the inhabitants of jerusalem and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as david so the weakest person that the gentiles thought okay we can destroy these people supernaturally through the power of god's spirit these people who are weak are going to have a power that they're going to be like fire with wood and, and he that's feeble is going to be like David. And the house of David will be like God, as the angel of the Lord before them. This is going to be quite a reversal. Back to Isaiah 40. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. So you think of a young person, and we have you see these young athletic guys, and they're, just, they're fit, and they can run forever, but not really. Eventually, they get weary, and, and they utterly fail. But they that wait upon the Lord, no matter how feeble the people of God are, if they wait upon the Lord, and this is the gospel message, we're telling Judah, wait upon the Lord. Don't, don't worry about, don't be dismayed by the power of the nations. You wait upon the Lord. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And this again is another example of a verse that's just taken out of context and applied generically. No, but we have a message. Comfort, God's pe- comfort my people and tell my people that they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. So be with God. You cannot lose. You cannot, even if you die, the just shall live by faith. You cannot lose when you repent and turn to God. Zechariah 10, he says, verse 12, And I will strengthen them in the Lord, and they shall walk up and down in his name, says the Lord. So this is this is all about, and so here in Luke 18 he says, and he spoke a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And this is the message that we have to Judah: you turn to Christ, and you pray, and don't even though you're hated and despised, and you're surrounded by armies, keep praying and don't faint. <clears throat> in Isaiah 8 he says, I will wait upon the Lord, that hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. So this is God's work. It's his strange work. He's hiding his face from Jacob. And yet he's going to come and redeem Jacob. Isaiah understood this. And he says, so you know what? I'm going to wait upon the Lord. And this is the message that we have. You know, it's, it's, it, Hopefully it's becoming clear. The anti-Semitism that's building around the world. And the upper hand that Islam is getting around the world. And the focus that's on Jerusalem. And, and the people of Judah are now called occupiers. They've got to get the occupiers out. We have to have a message to comfort these people to preach good good tidings unto them and to tell them to wait upon the Lord even though he's hiding his face from the house of Jacob and look for him and here in Hebrews uh, Paul writes therefore seeing we all are surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us so as we're running this race we've got to comfort judah and tell judah you know what repent and just face whatever it is you have to face understand how great the god of israel is understand how great your god is behold your god and here's the word of your god and you don't understand isaiah and and you don't understand jeremiah and you don't understand Ezekiel and you don't understand the minor quote unquote minor prophets and you don't understand Deuteronomy and we're embarrassing you because as Gentiles with the Holy Spirit we understand your God we have the mind of we we understand the mind of God we have the mind of God and we are now telling you behold your God to provoke you to repentance to provoke you to, to turn to God and so yes you have to face this but look at the ultimate outcome. Look, look at the glory that will be in Judah. Look at the glory that will be in Jerusalem. And so just repent and face what's before you. And I'll just, so that's Isaiah 40. We're going to chap, uh, study chapter 41 next week. But let me just end with a couple of verses from chapter 41, just again to make sure we understand. We have the mind of God. Let us understand the mind of God. Here in Isaiah 41, uh, verse 8. pick up a couple of verses to end. Um, Isaiah writes, But you, Israel, are my servant. So Israel, you're my servant. I've chosen you to be my servant. He says, But you, Israel, are my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen. God has done this. God has chosen Jacob. We need to be very, very careful about replacement theology. Be very, very careful. Because we're going up against God. God is saying, I've chosen Jacob, for I'm going to be the God of Jacob forever. Anybody who deals with me must be grafted into Jacob. But you, Israel, are my servant. So, so it's through Israel that God is going to save the world. Israel is God's servant. Israel is, that's why the kingdom has to be restored to Israel. Israel is going to be this kingdom of priests that is going to operate on the earth and facilitate a relationship of human beings with God this is the plan of god the mind of god the first fruits who are grafted in we're going to be born into the god family we're going to be overseeing the operations on the earth and there is going to be a head nation on the earth and people are going to look to that nation but you israel are my servant jacob whom i have chosen the seed of abraham my friend so isaiah shows that it goes back to abraham i've chosen you you've defiled my covenant you deserve to be punished but I made a promise to Abraham, my friend. And so because of that unconditional promise to Abraham, the elect, the fact that I've chosen you, I've elected you, I'm not gonna go back on my word. I'm going to fulfill my promise because you failed with the old covenant, it's now old, I'm gonna make you succeed with the new covenant. But at the same time, even though you're gonna be the head nation, I. <laughs> I'm to make sure that I carry out my word. You're going to be blinded. I'm going to graft in Gentiles. The Gentiles are now going to comfort you and preach the gospel to you and lead you to repentance and you will be what I said you would be. That you will be my servant on the earth. You will be the head nation. And then ultimately you will help all of mankind to be in the fall harvest and be born into the family of God. The seed of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, So so they're going to be scattered all over the earth and God is going to collect them from the four corners of the earth. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called you from the chief men thereof and said unto you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you away. So this is very, don't be careful of replacement theology. You're going up against God. God has chosen these people. He's going to punish them severely but he has not cast them away. That's why God, uh, Paul says, God forbid. They have to be punished, but God has not cast them away. And so comfort my people and preach the gospel to my people so that they can turn to me. And we'll just end here with uh, the final verses. Fear you not, for I am with you. So this is the message to, to Judah. Don't be afraid. Repent. Don't be afraid. Behold your God. He's with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. So all the nations are going to hate you. But God is going to help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all of them that were incensed against you, so all nations of the world are going to hate Judah. They're going to surround Jerusalem Say you have no right to be there. This is Jerusalem is ours. We have the right to Jerusalem. We're going to bring in our religion. We're going to set up the abomination of desolation. We're going to wipe every ball. We're going to destroy every Jew if we can. And God says, you know what? All of those that were incensed against you, they shall be ashamed and confused. They're, they're not going to know what hit them. So our message to them is you better repent. Don't go up against God. When you go up against his people, you're going up against God. Don't do that all them that were incensed against you shall be ashamed and confused they shall be as nothing as all this wealth that they have and just establish themselves and who can make war with them they're going to be as nothing and they that strive with you shall perish this is why we have to preach this gospel because we understand isaiah isaiah helps us understand the strange work of god the mind of god and we can look at the world and see how it's being configured or reconfigured. And we understand what's happening. And our message to Judah is, behold your God. Don't be afraid. Turn to God. And our message to the Gentiles is, don't do this. You're, you're making a big mistake. We're going to preach this gospel to you as a witness. And you then have to face the God of Israel. And you can't say nobody told you and you didn't know. So that's Isaiah 40 with a little bit of Isaiah 41. We'll go into a bit more detail with Isaiah 41 next week but I'll tell you there is so much richness in Isaiah if we'll just read it line by line and just but just what is what is he saying to us? And let's understand that. And that, let's not just go in and take a verse and, and be very careless with it. Let's read it in context and understand what this great prophet, the head of the prophets, the chief of the prophets, who was quoted so much by Christ and by the, the apostles, let's understand what he's teaching. So that, that opens up uh, 2nd Isaiah, uh, chapter 40. God willing, we'll continue with chapter 41 next week. I'll head over to the chat. We can uh, talk a little bit. Um, And then uh, I've got to get get going here as well. So God bless. uh, Good night. Uh, This is the gospel, the good news, according to Isaiah. And it shows that the word of Jesus Christ is forever. What a mighty God we serve. Amen.